Lead UX, the User Experience Leadership Circle, hosted by Dr. Thomas Führinger Kuhn. All right, warm welcome to Lead UX, the UX Leadership Circle, your compass for navigating the ever-evolving landscape of UX leadership and UX maturity in organizations. My guest today is David Byron, Director of Innovation Strategy at Sandberg Ferrar. Welcome to the show, Dave, and great to have you. Thanks, Thomas. Glad to be here. Um, could you first of all introduce yourself to our listeners and describe your current role at Sandberg Ferrar? Sure. Um, I'm Director of Innovation Strategy at Summerick Farrar, and we're in the metro Detroit area. Uh, I've been a Detroiter by choice for 23 years. I grew up on the East Coast, and I, I moved to the Motor City to be a car designer. And I spent the first half of my career in the automotive studios doing that, and then had a little hiatus for two years when the market crashed in like the 2008-2010 range, and I did sports equipment. And uh, then I found out about this studio here in Detroit that does everything. And that's what drew me to Sunbrook Ferrar. Uh, the diversity in 10 years has been amazing. I've worked on everything from cars that can walk and uh, UX, UI systems on uh, in-vehicle infotainment. And had my uh, time getting to do appliances and tools at Home Depot and senior living centers and and just things that, uh, you know, really stretch my creative juices and get me curious. I'm always learning. And uh, that's, that's what I love about Summer Frog. Great. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. So this directly brings me to my next question. You partially answered it already. So what, why do you get up for in the morning or what do you get up for in the morning and what motivates you to work in the field of UX? I love creating meaningful solutions. I I love the art and sculpture side of, of industrial design, and that's where uh, I went to school at CCS and uh, you know got a BFA and, and it's a fine art degree. And I, I love that side of the, the look of things I'm obsessed with, aesthetics. And, and yet, as my career went on, I also then started to ask more important questions about how well does this work and do I even like this experience? Um, and that experience to me is, is broad. I think that's from the hands-on uh, product design side, from physical design and uh, the, the interactive side, the UI. Um, and so all of those just kind of connected ecosystems and finding solutions that mean something to somebody and kind of create an emotional pull is what drives me to always keep making something new and keep learning. Yeah, I also think, yes, this emotional side of things, this is really crucial in our um, area of, of expertise. So what has been your personal UX highlight lately? Um, Project-wise, or you mean an experience out with someone else's product? Whatever you like to describe first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Like, Experience-wise, 
Um, I took a long two-week trip to Europe this summer with my family. So I've got my wife and a 10-year-old daughter, and we wanted to hit up some cities uh, we have not been to yet in Europe. And it just, it doesn't surprise everybody, I'm sure, but Google Maps just continued to blow my mind how well it worked, how quick it worked. And what I really like about it is that there were moments where I was debating the mode of transportation because you're in these multimodal cities in Paris and Barcelona. And I'm like, you know what, do we get back on the subway or do we get on a bus or do we call Uber? And Google's brought them together so well that I could quickly consider the different options. And it really, it really surprised me how even accurate it was to estimating a bus arrival time at the bus stop. I mean, not only could I find the bus stop, consider three different routes to choose from. And then it would say, if you go to this stop, that bus will be there in two minutes. And no joke. I mean, it was within 10 seconds, the, the arrival time. So when I'm trying to make those decisions quickly in a big city with, with you know, two family members kind of relying on me to tell us where we're going, that was a lifesaver. And it just... It just was the next level of pushing it to the limits that I had experienced, and and I just was amazed at how well it worked. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely um, get this point. So multimodal transportation is really also a challenge for the navigation systems that I usually uh, work work on. And yeah, I experienced the same. So for last mile uh, navigation, I also usually switch to Google Maps because it's accurate, it's up to date, yeah, and mm -hmm. life saving sometimes. You're right, you're right. So and yeah, yeah project wise, any highlights? Uh project wise, we we've spent many years working on different mobility vehicles uh rooted in robotics. Um and so one of them recently we we had a a challenge to try and figure out how do you control a really complex robotic vehicle. And so we approached it more from a video game uh, development perspective and uh, brought in a entertainment video game designer. And he and I worked together and scripted a sim, basically. And we went through the whole process of, okay, well, how do I control this vehicle with a steering wheel, um, like an F1 style uh, driving sim, or if it's with your keyboard, or if you're at a kiosk at a trade show and you're trying to just do a quick demo, do you limit and reduce the amount of uh, controls you want to give because you're only going to get five minutes, you don't want to overwhelm somebody, and, and can you plug in a PlayStation game controller? So we mapped out the whole logic and flow of the control system and then turned that into a fully demo-ready um, video game simulator. And so I did all the layout for like the garage to build up the, the vehicle options. And then what information is on screen when you're in the mode of learning? And then how do you slowly introduce more complex information as the user, let's say, trains on and actually gets real um, real skills versus just that five-minute demo. So that was a really awesome project, and getting to work with a, a real game designer was a stretch for me. Um, but 
deciding how much information is on screen and what's necessary at any given moment is, is something I love to do. Yeah. Yeah, gamification is definitely uh, also an important, not only buzzword, but uh, strategy in uh, in our area. Mm, the only question is, um, if if you talk then to the stakeholders and the, the maybe the, the UX leaders you work with, um, do you experience sometimes um, sort of a, um, friction or um, fear that they would not uh, buy into innovative modes of um, experience design? Mm, I, I, I think that when you, because you said fear of buying in, um, I think the fear comes maybe in a project like that where one instinct is to want it to do a lot. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you can stretch uh, your investment and get real life applications to maybe users that are going to actually train or learn on it. And at the same time, the sales team or marketing team wants to demo it. And that is something that needs, again, needs to be simplified and, and quick interactions and, Someone's only going to get their hands on it for three minutes. And when you get something that's pretty complex on the back end or can get really complex, how do you grow that experience from what is just a complete blank canvas? I don't even know what this, this vehicle does for the first 30 seconds. Um, so that to me is the challenge of you might have leadership wanting both things out of the same product. Um, so that that's really the the balancing act of of getting <laughs> getting that to serve both both needs uh, extreme and simple uh, you know maybe demo upfront sales purposes. Mm. So what competencies do you think a a UX leader or director of strategy like yourself needs to to work with these different stakeholders? Uh, okay, so from uh, you say from the leadership perspective. I think it's really critical to get the different, let's say, the different groups within your organization that are going to have a stake or going to use your product. They need to really all buy in to the Val props at the beginning. Why, why does this exist? Who is it for? What are the goals? And, and, and maybe even break that down into functional and emotional attributes. How do we all expect people to feel when they engage our product? And how should it function um, for the different users? Like, like we just talked, a simple um, entry-level user or a novice up to an expert. And, and so marketing and engineering and uh, sales teams, they all really should be at the table. And you should have those discussions before you actually get into the, into the tactical wireframe and development and putting you know pixels down and getting into that actually executing it i want everybody to be on board on what the goals are and the vision so that way when we get back to critiquing it as a group we're you know we're in alignment on, on did we actually meet what we all agreed upon was the goal and the deliverable at the beginning so to me that's from a leadership perspective it's it's maintaining uh, alignment and making sure everybody, you know, all the troops are marching in the right direction. 
um, looking at the same goal from from day one, really. Mm. Yeah, this describes um, a way of working in, in organizations um, which are already at a certain level of UX maturity because everybody's thinking in, in the way uh, you described, um, the starting point is thinking about user needs uh, and yeah, working towards that goal. Um, do you have any strategies working with organizations which UX maturity level is it's not um, at this stage? Uh, I, I think I think within any project, since we are a diverse design firm, we do often work with organizations that are even startups. We work with startups. And, and yet we also work with large organizations who say to us, we want to move into a different area of innovation because we've kind of maxed out uh, the category we're in right now. And, and you can say that's basically <laughs> new learnings and an infant organization, even if it's a mature group, they're just going into something totally, totally new they know nothing about. And uh, I, I think in all those instances, it's all about being open to learning. Um, can you as a group first admit you don't know everything <laughs> and have a little bit of uh, humbleness to reflect on your own tools and talents and to actually get a group to document what they're good at and what they're not good at is a really healthy exercise to begin any project. So I think that's important right there. Um, with organizations is I want to know what you are good at. Let's let's be very clear. And actually, that'll turn into some really interesting conversations, right? If you actually get a group of <laughs> people that have been at a company for, you know, whether it's two years or 20 years and get that person who's been there for two and get that person who's been there for 20 and actually get them to agree on what their company is actually good at, that turns into some really <laughs> uh, hot and uh, heated debates sometimes. But if you can't start with agreement on here's what we do well and here's what we don't do well, then how are you going to maximize that capability and then try and fill in the gaps or, you know, grow your capabilities or decide, well, this project's just not going to succeed because we don't have the ability to do that or we need to partner with somebody or this is an M&A, we need to go make an acquisition. So those are some of the things that we try and do when we're doing more strategy-focused projects is get to those, uh, let's say, gap alignments and try and make recommendations on what you should, what you can do to actually get <laughs> get a project done. Even even if you have a great idea, I don't know if you can do it sometimes. And that's a that's an honest conversation that uh, I find actually very hard for a lot of people to have. Yeah, so is this a starting point with all the clients you work with? Or is it more um, for only for the strategy uh, projects? I think, it, okay, is it a starting point? Yes. Uh, I think uh -huh. we have that conversation in the planning stage. Um, some projects come in our door, though, and are very tactically minded. Like, here is what we uh, know is our problem. We have this technology. We need to improve this you know, mechanism and we go to our prototype shop or we have this screen on a, on a medical device in a lab and it needs to say, you know, and it needs to communicate this objective and get uh, through these 
these tasks. And, and so sometimes they're very straightforward. And, uh, um, and I would say it is more on the ground level through conceptual development project work where we need to have those tools and talents types of conversations. Um, so, so we do get both ends of the spectrum um, that we get to work on. And so, yeah, we, definitely when they're more tactically driven, we're just, I think we're already making the assumption that they, they have written a brief, they know what they can do, they know what they can't do, they, they've identified a, a goal, and we just get into getting it done. Uh, but the strategy and and more experienced design, service design, like holistic system design, you've got to have those um, internal reflection conversations in, in the planning stage. Mm, yeah, um, I assume um, you also have clients who you um, who you work with for quite some years already. Have you seen them developing them throughout the years and raising awareness about what they do not know, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is a, a known uh, challenge in the consulting world is sometimes you you work yourself out of a job. <laughs> so, to, so to me, sometimes we actually build multi-year relationships with clients and they learn how to uh, innovate and, and they start off not knowing how and, and through working with us. Uh, I feel like we've done a great job if five years later, A department of two has, I've seen a department of two become a department of 20 and mm. they build that internal skill set. And, and then eventually, um, you know, uh, we might not hear from them for a couple of years and then they come back and say, oh man, we really, <laughs> we really miss working with you guys. We need to do something and we've got this area we need to grow in. But uh, I find that a really a success actually when, when multi, multi-year relationships grow to the point where they can execute and do it on their own um, I'm, i'm really proud of those yes i mean for sure in the end it's all about the product which is great for the end users and if they can do it on their own and don't need consultancy even better maybe yeah. yep so talking about a time frame you said five years later or so um, what's the to you experience the time frame an organization needs to really develop uh, to the next level of uh, maturity of user experience design can you, uh, is it is it even measurable in years i don't know oh yeah that's 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 difficult i mean measurable to say that they've got internal ux capabilities it's uh You know, it's 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 pretty quick the speed with which you can design and iterate. Um, I think a lot of the projects we've worked on though are rooted in longer lead physical products. So usually the UX is is uh, much quicker than the hardware it's going on. Um, so whether it is the automotive stuff uh, that we've worked on. Um, you know, that vehicle's turnaround cycle is three years. And so there's a lot of lead time for the UX to have actually um, the ability to critique it. I think it's nice because the UX team can iterate and prototype and put it in a sim and test eye tracking and test reaction time and really perfect it while the interior design team or the hardware team is, uh, you know, following their longer lead Uh, timeline. So I find it when you have the luxury of uh, more time because of the physical pairing, um, that's a great 
uh, ability to really improve upon it. And I think at some point, actually, what I see teams doing is getting a little um, stalled out. And um, and so then it's really kind of catching up. I mean, you get to that point where you, like, you've been working on a system and a year and a half goes by and the hardware still isn't ready and you're kind of done. And now all of a sudden a new technology comes out and you sit and you're like, oh, I would... If I started over today, I would completely redo this. I would, I would just execute in a totally different way. And what we just finished is already outdated. Um, so that's what's really uh, uh, great about the UX side of it is that now you can put a team into cycling that over again and, and give it a fresh update. Mm. All right, perfect. Now, um, if we change gear a little bit and, and more start talking about team development and things like that and different roles in organization. Um, so do you think for the, the, the leadership uh, of UX topics, is it important to uh, move to organizational development uh, rather than working on the product development side of things? to grow the organizational level also? Uh, to, to grow the organizational competency, you're saying, do yes. I, do, do the, the leaders should be focusing on the team, the design of the team. I think that's what you're saying is. Yeah, yeah, so, yes, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah because if you, if you have great people, the great products will just, they'll come. You know, I have no doubt. I have no doubt if you have great people working together, they will come up with great solutions. If they're empowered and they're in a system that enables that, so so the leadership should be should be designing the organizational structure, the team itself, the interaction model between different departments. That's what the leadership should focus on, in my opinion, um, and and less on having their hands in the product because the team that you hire will no doubt get it done. Yeah, and yeah, and often sometimes what I experience is that it's some it's hard for experienced UX people not to get their hands dirty anymore and work on all the nitty-gritty details and really give the freedom to the team. Um, that's this is really challenging for some for some leaders who are in the field for quite some years, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just understanding the, the collaborators, the enablers, the facilitators, however you want to define, you know, people that are collaborating are the ones that should be executing and defining and doing the project work. Um, and whether the leader wants to say they're a facilitator or an enabler, um, they're the ones that are basically making sure they put the right people in the right place. And you've got to know your people, you got to know your talent, you got to know uh, your team. And, and there's, There's designers that want to be headphones on and just executing, and that's what they're happy doing. And they will sit there and mull over every little detail and every animation or every graphic. And you need people on your team that can do that. But sometimes those personality types that are happy in that role don't take a 30,000-foot-level view of a project and say, are we actually you know, hitting the mark because they're just really focused on the execution of something very specific and tactical. So you got to know you got to have those people on the team as well that can look at it from a user perspective and just, again, back to those emotional points. Like, is this going to make somebody feel happy? Is that our goal? Are we trying to deliver 
a nuance around excitement or are we trying to deliver uh, confidence or is, is, is this rooted in safety? Like this needs to make a person feel safety. There's a difference between a functional way to execute a safe solution, but did they actually feel safe and trust you? So the person who's thinking about that is going to be very different than the person who's ta- thinking about the latency and how fast a graphic shows up. Yeah. So to me, when I when I when we're thinking about leaders, right, those are the leaders who have to understand who's doing what, how are they doing that, and the, then the great work will happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So right, pe- right people for the right job, more or less. That's what what it's, it's right. Required. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else uh, from your point of view, which is important to to build a strong UX team and also to strengthen. Um, the role of the UX team within an organization? Hmm. To strengthen the role, okay. So um, with within any, I've been on the OE side, uh, like I said, in the first half of my career. And I think sometimes the bigger the organization, the challenge I felt that I also saw around me, and then I still have friends and I work with the larger OEMs, is that the designers often feel like they do a very small piece of the entire process. Um, you know, and, and it's true when you have 200 designers, um, they're all doing very, very, very small pieces of, of the entire process and they're doing their piece and handing it off to the next person. And the next person hands it off to the next person. And when you're on smaller companies, you know, the designers have to do more and sometimes the entire product themselves and they feel burdened and overwhelmed for very different reasons. And so I think the challenge within larger organizations is to keep the team members aware of what's coming down the pipeline that will end up on their desk and then what they're doing as it ends up on the next person's desk. You know, and so the the perspective of the whole process, even when you have to really divide it up to experts doing many, many, many small pieces of the big system, the perspective is the leader's job to make sure everybody knows what's coming down the pipeline. Why is it coming? Because that's probably the most frustrating thing I've heard most peers say is, I got to do this because just somebody told me to. This is what came in. I got to get this done, pass it on to the next person. And that just leads to apathy. It leads to a lack of focus. And then it just becomes a task to get done versus we're working together to get this amazing solution out the door. Um, So that's what I would recommend to to large organizations is perspective and clarity of the vision so that every single team member knows why they're doing what they're doing and how much value it is uh, to the overall process. Mm. Um, would this also be um, a recommendation for companies to keep and attract talent? At least here in Europe, we have still we are challenging, uh, we are facing challenges regarding lack of talent um, that we would need to really get our job done properly. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would hope that would lead to talent retention because that's the it's the exact point I was saying about just trying to reduce the apathy of, of turning the job into mundane tasks when someone's just handed a task, do this, and then go on. I mean, I think that's the root of knowing each person has a critical role. There's purpose in what they're doing. They know why they're being asked to do something. Um, and that's just 
that's the psychology of motivation in general and and how to build a, a strong team. Um, so I, I, I would hope that if you were actually designing your team, as we were just talking about leaders designing uh, the team, that you would consider that a, a root of why people find value and stick around. Mm. And and you mentioned purpose of what people are doing, and this this brings me to another topic, which which is um, Gen Z and their um, expectations uh, towards the the professional job world. So, do you see any any challenges uh, mm -hmm. coming from younger people uh, with different expectations entering the job market, especially in UX, maybe? Uh, different expectations. Um, I think they, it's great to have a team that's mixed. That I think is, is critical and that there can be senior level people, you know, Gen X or, or Gen Yers even that are still hands-on in the execution because they can be principal designers, expert designers, um, And mixing them in the same team is really critical. So you have a little bit of wisdom with a little bit of uh, fresh and speed that you get out of the younger talent that is just coming in with a hyper speed focus and ability to execute. I think that speed to execute sort of slows <laughs> down as we get older. Um, so that's that's the benefit I'd see in uh, the younger designers come in, like the interns we have and and our new hires. Like they're just so fast um, in that speed sometimes they don't have the wisdom to catch everything or just understand the nuance of what they're doing but I think uh, that's really interesting to make sure that you keep that for that dual you know mixed age perspective but I think in the Gen Z is what I find it really interesting it's just uh, as, as a psychological observation is their uh, their assumption that There's suspicious activity <laughs> always there. Um, you know, they they just inherently know about bots. And I just heard a conversation recently, and they just were looking at something and assumed it was being generated by a bot. And I don't, you know, I know people my age and older, just they don't go to that instinct that quick. And and so the younger gen just they they're just They've grown up with it. They're familiar with it. They're suspicious of everything um, for, di for very different reasons than my mom and dad who are in their 60s and 70s would be suspicious. Um, I don't think if you, you even said the word bot to my mom, she would even know what that is. But here, here are the you know, 22-year-old college graduates. They, they can recognize that almost bot behavior um, and see it in whether it's social media or within... Uh, AI now tools and so that that suspiciousness is actually something really to value um, because they can catch it and, and were they right was it a bot uh, created conversation in the end or <laughs> I mean maybe, I would, they, maybe they, they are suspicious <laughs> I don't I, I don't know if that specific conversation recently I could tell that they were okay. right or wrong but their ability to quickly identify it and then just instinctively question it um, it's just fascinating to see the younger generation coming in um, and being influenced by AI and all the, uh, you know, all the, the bot activity that's out there and, and what is real, what is human generated, what's not, um, what's authentic, what does it matter if it's authentic? I, those kinds of questions they are having 
um, and have a, a unique perspective. Mm, yeah. So it definitely adds something to the team having yeah a, a mixed mixed age group, um, experienced and and yeah younger people on board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they also really have they have really strong expectations on like mentorship. Mm -hmm. Um, we did a, we did a round of hiring and I heard more candidates in our interview process. Uh, and this was for an entry level junior position. So it was, you know, everybody was about 22 to 25 years old. And I had never heard so many young candidates specifically without even being asked, ask what their mentorship plan would be. Yeah. What would what was our plan to uh, mentor them and grow their skill set? And you know, I think that's an assumption that I would like to say is a good company and a design thinking, uh, empathetic company that we do that naturally. But I never overtly heard, and I've been in many many interviews for years now. I've never just heard that many candidates come at that with an with intent on their own. And I think maybe that's post pandemic. Um, I think that that kind of became part of the consciousness is if I'm working hybrid or working remotely, I don't want to miss out on on how I can grow within the organization. And I, I know I saw a lot of you know LinkedIn articles and things about that in their consciousness. But that was really uh, kind of refreshing and interesting to hear. So there's an expectation yeah. for sure from Gen Z coming in. Yeah, so this would then also be a recommendation for companies who want to attract and keep talent offer a growth and a mentoring plan and a career development plan. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that just doesn't, that doesn't mean just throwing in like financial college mm -hmm. credit or training support. I mean, that's, it's gotta be more substantial and meaningful than just saying, Oh, if you want to go take some, you know, courses towards your masters, we'll, we'll split the tuition or whatever your policy is. Uh, they're looking for something more meaningful. They want to know, Who am I shadowing and what skills are, are they going to help me grow? And uh, do we have check-ins and, and how am I going to be held accountable actually? Like really getting into that level of conversation is, is going to be mm. required yeah. across the board. Okay, great. So, so finally for people um, who are just entering the field or starting their career and your ex is there any, are there any recommendations maybe also for junior managers in the UX area that you would give or that you would like to uh, have given to your younger self a couple of, of years ago? <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know if this, this is not specific to just UX versus other types of design, but I think all of design, designers, we go through school and we learn a lot of tactical skills and you need that i mean you need repetition and you need to understand uh the latest software and you need to be able to execute um on a deliverable but what i would go back and do more of myself and what i would recommend to others is dig deeper into psychology and anthropology and understand human behavior um, so yes, you can execute a beautiful solution, but understanding how seven different personality types would approach that experience is more important than, uh, how fast it works. Yeah. 
So that's what I would recommend is, is diving into personality types, cognitive types, um, uh, high capacity, low capacity, cognitive aptitude. And um, that's to me the root of being able to be a good designer is to consider those and then define what your product is, uh, who it's meant for, what it's targeting and, and how it's going to be perceived by different people because everybody's different. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. So thanks, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Um, I think, yeah, those are great uh, ending words. Uh, thanks for being on the show and yeah, talk to you soon, hopefully. I appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks. Bye.